0: Pharmacy Podcast Nation and especially our community pharmacy owners. Do you ever feel like you're getting pushed to do more with less? There's a product out there I'd like you to take a look at. Doing more for your pharmacy and more for your patients is important. Talking about the pen needle UltiGuard Safe Pack. For the same copay for your patients as pen needles alone. The Ultiguard Safe Pack provides 100 premium pen needles and a sharps container all in one. When pharmacies dispense the pen needle Ultiguard Safe Pack, they see consistently higher revenue and higher margins. Check this product out today and let us know what you think. Go to slash podcast that's Altigard Safe Pack forward slash podcast. You can get a free sample pack on the website. Thanks for all you do as frontline healthcare providers, and thank you for listening to the Pharmacy Podcast.
1: Uh-huh. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network.
0: Hey, Pharmacy Podcast Nation. You got to listen in every Tuesday to stay up to date on the most recent medication therapy topics. Game Changers creates awareness about pharmacotherapy clinical practice changes that can significantly impact pharmacy practice. Every Tuesday, a new episode of Game Changers is published on the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Thanks so much for listening, and always remember, the pharmacist is the hub of healthcare. history where data is becoming the new currency. Beyond oil, dollars, and social status, data is emerging as one of the most powerful and consequential currencies around the globe. Technology, computer processing, cloud storage, and artificial intelligence are empowering these data to transform zeros and ones into insightful and even profound realizations about almost every aspect of our lives. I'm John Nosta.
2: And this is FutureDose.Tech. Technology, pharmacy, and better healthcare delivery. By creating more efficient, higher quality concierge-like
0: pharmacist services, we can transform from the pharmacist of yesterday into the future provider of pharmacy tomorrow. FutureDose.Tech is a member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network.
2: Hello, Pharmacy Podcast Network listeners. This is Dave Berkowitz, host of the Future Tech Podcast. And today I'm excited to have with me Alvaro Goyanez. Alvaro Goyenez is a professor at University of College London, as well as a professor at the University of Spain. I'll have to ask you about that. Um, he's also the, the director and founder of FabRx, which is a 3D printing of drugs company, and that's 3D printing of drugs is something that's super fascinating to me, and I'm excited, uh, certainly excited to learn more about it. Hello, Alvaro, thanks for joining me today. Now, you and I first got together, we first connected, I want to say two to three years ago, I can't remember uh, when it was, but a a couple years back. And I had had this idea that I wanted to create a precision dosing center of excellence at my former employer, which was Mass General Brigham and Women's Health. And I, I pitched this idea to uh, pitch this idea to the highest levels of the organization. I got some pretty interesting feedback from from those that I pitched to. The feedback was essentially that the FDA is very worried about having three d printing of drugs because because they can't get patients to take regular dosage forms. They can't get patients to adhere in in any sort of meaningful statistical way to normal drugs. I mean, 30% of prescriptions aren't even filled, so there's worries that normal doses, forms aren't even well adhered to. And there was also some um, concern about what would be the right sort of use case for 3D printing of drugs. So, what the the feedback led me to do was to try to find a exemplar use case. So, so I did end up pursuing trying to find. A neurologist or a team of a neurology team to print 3D print drugs for study. 3D printing of drugs, anyway, for for epilepsy, because uh, anti-epileptic drugs require do require titration and precise thought so That was good usage. So I wasn't ended up able to. I wasn't able to find a. A physician champion to help me with that, so that's why that that project ended up failing. But I do want to talk to you. Part of the reason I had you on here is I want to hear more about three D printing, where where the science is going, or where there's some successes, and and I also want to explore some of the feedback I got from from uh, my former employer to talk about how those 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 barriers can be overcome so again yeah thank you for for coming on today can you tell me give me a little bit about your background like how did you get into 3d printing what's your educational background if you could
1: um, hello, David. Thank you. Uh, first of all, thank you for the invitation to this uh, podcast. Uh, I would like just to clarify that I'm not a professor. I'm a lecturer. I might be in the future, but uh, yeah. So uh, I'm working as a, as you mentioned, as a co-founder. Uh, of uh, Fabrics, the spin-out company from University College London and one of the directors and uh, my background I'm a pharmacist by training. I did a PhD in uh, pharmaceutical technology and uh, after my PhD so when I started uh, uh, doing research about uh, 3D printing uh, more or less like eight years or nine years ago. I started in UCL, University College London, doing research and then uh, we started with this uh, very simple 3d printers that you can buy from uh, china that are the ones that use a, a small filament that uh, melts this filament and print an object uh, 3d printing is a manufacturing technology that allows creating objects in a layer by layer main manner so uh, adding layers of materials you Finally, create an object and everything is controlled by software. So, the fact that this manufacturing technology is uh, controlled by software means that uh, the the user is able to modify the shapes or size just modifying some parameters in the software. And in the pharmaceutical sector, this could be used to print uh, medicines or medical devices, drug loaded medical devices with different sizes. uh, And these sizes. Uh, are going to determine uh, different drug dose, so different dose. Uh, That's the the best advantage or or the main advantage of uh, 3D printing is the potential opportunity to create personalized dose medicines. So depending on the requirements of uh, each patient, uh, it's possible to combine in in a simple pill uh, different uh, drugs, and these drugs can be uh, incorporated in, with different doses. So it's possible to create complex uh, polypills with uh, different doses of drugs. It's possible to crea- create personalized devices uh, adapted to the shape of the patient. So the, the idea is that uh, everything could be personalized for the patient. Probably you heard about uh, a company in U.S. that's called Apresia. Uh, they launched the, the first 3D printed medicines in, into the market that was approved by the FDA, uh, I think like three or four years ago. Uh, they actually have a, a medicine in the market that is uh, manufactured using 3D printing. But in this case, uh, they use 3D printing uh, for mass production, they they scale up the process and they have a centralized facility where they uh, printed the, um, and they manufacture these uh, tablets that are uh, very fast dissolvable tablets ODT oral dispersable tablets and uh, well this was a great achievement because it was the first time that this technology was used in a pharmaceutical product but uh, we are trying to move a bit further and going for the personalized medicine personalized dose so printing in pharmacies and hospitals uh, close to the patient i think that's the idea that you had and and what you were trying to to get uh, is it's a reality that is going to be uh, soon in, in all the hospitals, but right now it's only uh, as a clinical studies, there are some clinical trials uh, ongoing on different hospitals. But I think we are moving in, into the right direction.
2: Right, that was some of the feedback that what I was proposing would require, you know, a pretty major NIH study, at least in, in, in the states here, to compare standard of care, to 3D printing of medications for patients with epilepsy. You know, that is the number one reason why patients aren't adhering to their meds to their anti-seizure meds is that, you know, having side effects typically. Um, or perhaps the dose isn't high enough for for whatever um, epileptic activity that mm-hmm. they're experiencing at the time. And, and I, I wanted to hook the patient up to an IOT device to, to, you know, check some of the, some of the, uh, the nerve transmissions. You know, I had a pretty, pretty in-depth, uh, proposal, but you know, I never found, I never found, I found neurologists at the time who were super interested and fascinated, but nobody that mm-hmm. was willing to sort of stop their career trajectory to take on mm-hmm. this uh, this idea because it it would take a major physician champion who's going to be at the end of the day, a physician is the one who has to write the prescription, and then you have to have a team to monitor the patient and, and whatnot. Especially when mm-hmm. it comes to epilepsy, because the uh, because it's a high risk uh, population. Um, How did you get involved? You know, 3D printing to me sounds super, it's super fascinating. So cool to talk about. How did you get involved and how, how did you become passionate about it?
1: Well, uh, as I said, uh, I was uh, at that point when I started doing 3D printing was a postdoctoral researcher. Uh, I joined a group, uh, uh, a research group, uh, where they were doing uh, inject printing of medicines, so actually printing small doses of drugs uh, on top of films that uh, you can put on on top of the tongue and are going to dissolve, uh, oral dissolvable films. Uh, And at that point, one of the limitations of this inject printing, that is two-dimensional printing, we use in that uh, technology something similar to the printers that uh, everybody has uh, at home or in the offices to, to print paper. Uh, so at that point the limitation of that technology is that the amount of uh, drug that you can incorporate is is low in the mm-hmm. order less than 5 milligrams uh, and also at, at that time uh, is when all these cheap printers started to, to come to the market so we just basically decided to test these new 3D printers uh, we bought one we didn't know if this could work or not uh, but actually uh, we did some tests uh, we got like very good results and then we realized that there were many business opportunities there with this idea and then, then is when we created the company straight away actually after the first paper that we published we decided to to create the company and try to explore more business opportunities.
2: So why 3D printing over standard dosage form?
1: Well as I said the, the, the opportunity of 3D printing is that uh, with the software uh, you can control the dose, and this is uh, something that you cannot do with other technologies. Right now, um, I, I think it's a, the the in general medicine is moving to personalized medicine. It's uh, moving away from the what is called one size fits all approach to the personalized medicine, um, and the reality is that there is no technology that allows to create personalized dose medicines. Uh, most of the medicines are produced, mass produced in one, two, three, or four doses, and you need to select one of those doses, but there are not the, a system that is able to prepare personalized medicines. Uh, we identified a 3D printing as the system to do that, where only just changing a parameter in the software, you can change the dose of the medicine. Uh, And it's the only technology that is able to do that in in a very simple and easy manner. And it's also a very cheap technology, uh, innovative technology that could uh, work for that.
2: Yeah, one thing that I've always felt as a pharmacist when I was working in clinical practice is, is a lot of prescribing is still kind of trial and error. And if you think about, especially when I think about drugs for mental health um, people mm-hmm. will have to try multiple different antidepressants and and one of the reasons why they might not have uh, they the patient might not have adhered is because that p- particular dose wasn't correct for them mm-hmm. um, so I definitely think that there's opportunity and the way that I was thinking about it at the time was trying to I sort of see this as more kind of a stepwise manner where you, where you choose disease states that where the dose makes a big difference, or maybe there's you know the, there's a therapeutic window is, is 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 smaller, where you need to have a targeted dose. But other drugs that are you know well tolerated and a standard dose may not be the best candidate. I, have you thought about like what disease states you want to sort of target for this type of technology?
1: Yeah, as, uh, as you said, this is not going to be a technology that is going to be used for s- most of the drugs, mainly for specific drugs that are the drugs that are going to cause like uh, side effects if the, the dose is uh, too high or are not going to be effective if the dose is too low. Uh, also, some drugs that need... Uh, therapeutic drug monitoring uh, could be suitable drugs for this because uh, you need to modify the dose according to the uh, drug uh, levels in plasma or in blood. So th- there is a need for for that. Uh, th- there are many examples of drugs that can be used for this, uh, but we can also think not only specific drugs, but combination of drugs. Mm-hmm. So for example, uh, combinations of... Um, anti-diabetic drugs or anti-hypertensive drugs that sometimes in the market you find uh, only like three or four fixed combinations. But if you need to increase the dose of one of this combination, this uh, combination is not in the market. So you, you, you have complete freedom to select which one, two or three drugs you want to use and also the dose of these different drugs so it offers more opportunities that are not in the market right now
2: Yeah, certainly sounds like it it would be able to simplify drug regimens that's for sure if you're taking one one pill versus uh, three or four perhaps now what have been what have Mm -hmm. been some of your successes so far
1: Well, uh, when we started with um, with this, uh, let's say, business or this uh, promoting this uh, concept of 3D printing of medicines, uh, in our company, most of us, uh, we were pharmacists by training. So we thought just developing the right formulation would be enough because uh, the difficult part is developing the formulation but then we realize oh well there are no printers to print medicines so the printers that are in the market are printers that are designed for other applications so we had to develop our own printer that is a pharmaceutical printer that right now is in the market is the uh, we call it medimaker so it's an equipment to make medicines and um And then we also realized that, well, actually, we need a software. I see to use software where you just select the dose, and then there is a validated uh, algorithm that determines the right shape, the right size. So it's not necessary to learn a lot about 3D printing because a pharmacist in a pharmacy or in a hospital, they don't want to know all this uh, uh, coding about printing and everything, uh, temperatures, uh, materials, they just want to select the dose and print that dose, mm-hmm. or combination of doses. So we had to develop the software as well. Uh, and. Yeah, these are the, the main three things that we managed to develop, formulation, uh, the printing system, and, and the software for that. And uh, recently, we did the, the first clinical study that we moved a printer into a hospital, and we printed uh, chewable uh, printlets, uh, 3D printed tablets, that are chewable for children. Uh, that, uh, t- children who had a rare metabolic disease, it's called maple syrup disease, where you need to control the levels of uh, one amino acid that they need to take because uh, if you don't give this amino acid uh, well they they don't grow or the the development of these children is not normal, and then if it's too high, they have like a toxic effect. So you need to control the levels of this amino acid. Uh, and this study was uh, very successful because the the children really like these chewable formulations that we prepare with different flavors and also with different colors. And uh, we managed to print these uh, chewable formulations with different doses depending on the on the dose of this amino acids that the children had in, in blood. Uh, as you said, it's very difficult to find a, a medical doctor that actually wants to risk a, and do a clinical study So. Uh, innovative like that. But we managed to to work with a, a pediatrician that was uh, like very excited about this technology. Uh, and she saw many potential opportunities and combinations, especially for these children that uh, have these rare metabolic diseases that uh, they have not medicines prepared for them. So normally are powders that they have to mix and weight in the right uh, amount. So having an automatic system that uh, is able to prepare these uh, attractive medicines uh, is a, a step in the right direction and we did this first clinical study that right now is the only clinical study done in a hospital uh, using 3d printing
2: congratulations that sounds awesome I didn't realize that you had come up with a new device that's so essentially you kind of you set the you set the stage you created the frame in order to Ah, uh, facilitate other types of studies because you have the groundwork, you have the machine, you have the software, so now you're able to take on uh, more diverse types of projects. That's really cool, and hopefully, uh, hopefully, there are other li- there are listeners out there who will you know hear this and and uh, and then want to champion it as well. Uh, because if you think about, like I mentioned earlier, prescribing is still somewhat trial and error, and having the capability of three D printing a drug, the, drugs themselves. I'll take a step back. Drugs are chemicals. There's there's no free lunch when it comes to drugs. There's always going to be there's always a risk benefit. There's always going to be side effects. And having the flexibility to be able to target the drug to the to the to the patient's reaction to their metabolism, to their sleep, to what they're eating. Like there's there's just so much potential in terms of targeting drugs and collecting more data to make the drugs even to doses or even the drugs that you're you're taking the actual chemicals more precise um it's really neat to think about because there are a lot of patients who do get harmed out there by drugs that just aren't the right dose for them or not the right drug and, and if you think also about sort of how we collect data in, in terms of pharmacovigilance and post-marketing studies there's a there's a whole lot of things we don't know about drugs that happen to patients or adverse events that might be rare that we aren't necessarily capturing in, in the community after a drug gets released. Um, so this, having the ability to to deal with that, at the same time, perhaps one day without more, we're getting a little sci-fi here, but one day to be able to capture some of that, those patient reported outcomes in real time or, or passive sensors, to be able to capture that data and then adjust by changing the dose, does sound i don't know how far away in the future it is but it does sound like it could be beneficial in terms of delivering the exact right dose the patient needs for their condition without you know causing harm
1: yeah, let, let me just uh, comment on this. This is uh, exactly what we are trying to do, and uh, this is, your comment goes in the direction that we are trying to move. For example, in the clinical study that we did, the patients uh, just uh, got analyzed small uh, dried blood spots on paper, that they sent by post to the to the hospital and they analyzed mm-hmm. these small dried blood spots uh, and they, they didn't have to go there. But uh, we are developing some sensors that similar to the glucose uh, sensors that you put a, a small drop of blood in, in a small strip and you get the, the level of glucose, we are working on developing the same sensors for these different amino acids that the the children had problems. So we have a real value, and, and we have better sensors to, to know what is going to be the right dose, the, the best dose. And we are also t- working with the um, uh, pediatrician and the physicians to... Uh, understand how they predict the right dose because sometimes it's what you say is trial error so if we come up with a kind of software that somehow suggests the right right dose uh, i think that would be also beneficial and then software can suggest the right dose and also you can print that right dose with a 3d printer so we are working in, uh, in trying to close the loop of uh, selecting mm. the, the uh, se- well determine the the drug the drug levels then predicting the right dose printing the right dose giving this dose to the patients and check how is uh, changing the, how the levels are changing we are working in that way we, we are I'm an expert in 3d printing because uh, we are manufacturers of these printers and, and working on how to get the best medicines but i think the other uh, steps are very very important as well
2: absolutely yeah that's that's really exciting to hear and this uh, i love having these 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 uh, i guess that's why this this uh, podcast is called future dose tech but i love having these conversations and here's here's one that's kind of uh, A little bit out there, but in terms of healthcare delivery, delivering the medicines to patients, are we talking about, do you think we're talking about sort of a back to the future type Back to the Future 2 type scenario where I have my own 3D printer on my kitchen countertop and I wake up in the morning and I have a sensor and it submits and data to this thing and it prints it out and I drink it with my coffee? Or is it more of like a controlled environment where say a pharmacist in a local community pharmacy is maybe perhaps connected to patients in the community and getting information and adjusting doses appropriately? Like what, what do you think, like what's the healthcare delivery model for 3D printing?
1: And uh, we are working towards the second scenario where we have the production or, or the preparation of these medicines uh, controlled by an expert, in this case, uh, like a pharmacist, because we want to be sure that we get the medicines with the right quality. Maybe long term, uh, thinking in 10, 20 years uh, in the future, we can have like some systems at home but uh, right now if I'm going to talk to the regulators and I tell them uh, I want to have a printer at home to prepare medicines for for patients, they are going to say, uh, are you mad? No. <laughs> so uh, we go step by step and first we are saying, no, we are going to print or prepare medicines in all the hospitals. That is something like it's not done now. Uh, then in big pharmacies and, and maybe in the future could be at home for some patients uh, and they don't need to go to collect the medicines or get the medicines delivered by post uh, but we, we don't know for for now uh, the system that we are uh, imagine in the future is going to be controlled uh, by a pharmacist that is going to do the, the quality control the checks
2: amazing and that was that leads me actually to my next question which you sort of touched upon was like regulatory barriers so so it sounds like you're able to overcome, at least in Europe, some of the regulatory barriers by having a 3D printer in, um, in the hospital. Now, mm-hmm. in terms of now how do the I don't, know, I don't know if you can comment on the United States laws, but how do the how do the laws in Europe apply for sort of compounding? And what, what are the types of laws that you have to have to make sure that you are uh, adhering to? Well,
1: uh, each country in Europe is different. Uh, for example, uh, in UK, it's not so common to have this kind of compounding that is quite common in the US, that some mm-hmm. pharmacies prepare uh, batches of medicines or just uh, medicines for specific patients. Uh, and these medicines are not regulated by the FDA, are mainly, I think, regulated by the states. So in, in Europe, there are some countries that have similar compounding systems so in hospitals they prepare some medicines that are made on demand based on prescriptions personal prescriptions from medical doctors so what we managed to do is to say that uh, 3d printing is kind of compounding it's like uh, could Mm -hmm. be like the printer could be considered like uh, other equipment that is in the lab like a mortar and pestle Mm -hmm. but instead of having a manual mortar and pestle we have equipment that is automatic so we did a proof of validation obviously stability of the materials and we show all all this data Uh, and we went through the regulatory way of compounding that in uk they are called pharmaceutical specials so if the hospital has this license to for pharmaceutical specials or compounding mm. that most of the ah. hospitals have mm. uh, it's fine uh, it's not a gmp facility it's just right. uh, it's a manufacturing license but it's not gmp so there is no problem uh, and in hospitals uh, they are normally uh, used to do even worse, uh, I mean worse, more, uh, let's say, riskier procedures like uh, intravenous uh, medication that they need to mix different substances. So this would be in the same line Uh, obviously we have uh, conversations with the regulatory authorities to to have this uh, like a proper regulation for this specific type of system Uh, we spoke to the mhra that is like the uh, uk fda and, and their view was very positive they considered this system like hardware software and formulation like a kind of manufacturing kit that you can place in in a let's say a room and you don't need to have a GMP uh, facility, but you can probably, in the future, prepare medicines uh, just having this conventional manufacturing license.
2: Neat. So it sounds. I like that angle of of pitching it as sort of a electronic mortar and pestle. That that does that makes a lot of sense. We have similar compounding type facilities here, so it sounds like they're they're able you know, to translate at least the regulation. But overall, what I'm hearing is that. The, the regulations themselves kind of have to grow and adapt to this new technology in general because you're trying to pigeonhole them into scenarios in which people were, you know, literally mashing together herbs, right? <laughs> like the, yeah. if the laws the laws are archaic, the regulations are archaic for this technology and there probably needs to be more thought and policy put into place about um, once, at least once it gets scaled anyway, there probably needs to be you know, more thoughtful Um, policies in place does that does that sound right
1: yeah yeah obviously this is a new technology Uh, regulatory authorities are not going to put the rules in place if uh, they don't know what the actors are doing so mm-hmm. they are somehow waiting to see how this is evolving uh, we had meetings with the FDA uh, even with the USP because they are thinking mm-hmm. about having like uh, some monographs for um, 3D printing so I know they are thinking and scoping what is doing and checking about what are the critical parameters for this technology thinking about how we can qualify the, the equipment uh, and d- determine if this is going to be gmp production or not so also 3d printing is not one technology there are different types of 3d printers Good and point. maybe some technologies uh, are more uh, Probably suitable for scale manufacturing, and that's not going to be for personalized those medicine It's going to be mm-hmm. scale manufacturing, and it's going to be under the GMP license, like uh, Apresia did. So Apresia mm-hmm. had like a very massive uh, 3D printer, and uh, everything is produced under GMP conditions. We are talking about something completely different, different technologies. That uh, Apresia is using a. Uh, it's called zipdose that is basically a powdered powder bed inject printing we are mainly talking about other technologies that uh, uh, uses different type of inks or starting materials so depending on the technologies probably some of them are more suitable for different applications
2: i'm glad you brought up usp and it's it's neat to hear that they're they're thinking about it and and sort of future-proofing their 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 codes in terms of the monographs and, and excipients, how do you figure out what what stuff can go together or what temperatures to the, the product will be stable at? Like, how do, what's your process for making sure stuff can, can sort of jive all together?
1: Well, uh, when we started at the beginning uh, in one of these uh, 3D printing technologies, to, to print them the, the medicines, first you need to get a filament, that this filament is made with uh, the materials, the excipients, and the drug. So uh, everything together, you, we use a hot melt extruder to get this filament, uh, and sometimes it was very challenging to get these filaments good, because the filament uh, shouldn't be brittle, but it shouldn't be too flexible, should be perfect (laughs) uh, diameter so uh, we spent a lot of time uh, testing different mixture of excipients and drugs uh, and was at the beginning mainly trial and error Uh, with the time uh, after years uh, experienced formulator scientists can know uh, in advance if something is going to work or not uh, Mm -hmm. if a filament is going to be printable or not but um, now that everybody's thinking about artificial intelligence and machine learning. We decide to to develop a a kind of web service or software where you can put your uh, mixture of excipients and drugs uh, and you check uh, uh, if this is going to be printable or not. So this software that is actually online working, uh, you you incorporate uh, different materials, your drug, and then it's going to Predict for you if this is going to be printable or not, and which temperature, uh, how is going to be the the dissolution fast slow. So this is a system that uh, we are working and that that we use. Uh, it's actually a, a web se- uh, web uh, web page based software that is called uh, Medicine, is M3D and then sin like a, a C, and um, yeah, it's uh, we are actually very involved in all these futuristic ideas about artificial intelligence, devices, sensors. So we are just testing everything, and and this system of machine learning to predict is, is seems that is very helpful, at least for us
2: that's so cool this is this is really groundbreaking stuff so not only did you have to create a new device you had to create a new device you had to create software that was user-friendly for a pharmacist to be able to say mm-hmm. oh, i just want to print this and you also had to work on solving the problem of the knowledge base to so and in some ways had to create your own knowledge base because there wasn't a compendium to look at to say mm-hmm. this this drug is compatible with 3d printing or this excipient is 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 appropriate for this machine and this 3d printing this is really fascinating stuff and and uh, I, I certainly, I learned a lot in this conversation. I loved I love talking about this stuff. I loved hearing about your company. Now, what are, I, I have a, one, last questions, one last question. One last question. Before I get, get to that last question, where, how, are, how could our listeners get in touch with you?
1: Um, my email, uh, if they go to our webpage, that is fabrx dot co dot uk. Uh, there is um, my email there. Uh, I can give my email, but uh, if they go to our web page, probably it's easier, and 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 they can check my email. They can send questions to me, and and most of the times, yeah, I reply quite quick.
2: I guess I'll I'll, I'll rephrase. Not that they need to contact you more quickly, but if they wanted to learn more, would you recommend learn more about three D printing? Because I have I do actually receive a decent amount of questions from pharmacy students and residents about three D printing. What yeah. do you think someone should get started if they're interested?
1: Yeah. Okay. Um. To be honest, there are not. I think th- this is very new. Uh, right. I would say that it's a hot topic now. Um, starting like four or five years ago, uh, th- there were the first article about 3d printing of medicines was in 1996 but uh, now it's a hot topic so it was more than 20 years ago but now it's when it's hot topic because the printers are cheap are available to everyone Uh, but there are no specific courses of or or or, or teaching about 3d printing of medicines uh, because there are not many experts Um, I, I know in UCL uh, we have some masters uh, Master courses uh, about pharmaceutics and since we are there uh, some of our students in, in at UCL, they can be with us and they do practice with us and they do research with us. It's, it's a good way of learning 3D printing, doing one of these masters. But uh, I reckon there is no specific mm-hmm. master or, or uh, course for this. It's something that we are planning to do in the future, uh, like a specific course for uh, the critical parameters for each specific technology, but uh, we don't have time to do that right Mm -hmm. now because Mm -hmm. we are very involved in research. Uh, There are some very interesting uh, seminars and webinars about 3D printing for time to time. Uh, Experts from our university and other universities in in UK, in US, uh, give uh, talks Actually, for example, I think this week was the AAPS meeting, uh, American Association of Pharmaceutical Science meeting, that used to be a very big meeting uh, a Congress, but this year was online, and, and there was a session about 3D printing, so... Nowadays, there are sessions about 3D printing in most of the pharmaceutical meetings. But uh, if you want to know more about that, probably what you need to do is to read articles or review right. articles. Uh, we publish a book about 3D printing of pharmaceuticals in 2000, uh, 2018, two years ago. Uh, it's a nice book. Uh, was edited by uh, Professor Abdul Basid and Simon Gaysford, that are my colleagues, uh, and could be a, a nice starting point as well uh, to understand the different technologies and what was published at that point. But uh, it's, it's a field that this is evolving very quick as well. So yeah.
2: <laughs> and if I was a pharmacy school that wanted to do research in this area, could I just buy one of your machines? And like, what would you need to get started up?
1: Yeah. Uh, it's just getting a 3D printer and then thinking about what you want to do. Uh, sometimes it's to, to have the right idea and then try to develop a, a research project with that. It's not so difficult to start, uh, it's just to, to have the mindset probably.
2: <laughs> oh, right, right. It's the, the culture of of, exactly. of innovation and the culture of advancing pharmacy, essentially. Exactly. Yeah. Really yeah. neat. And yeah, you know, I know I said I had one more question. And I, I think I answered. I asked one. I asked a question already. But I'll, my list, I swear this is my last question. So, what do you think? What's your prediction for what, when do you think this will be mainstream? When will three D printing be mainstream? And what will be this, the first disease state that you think that it will be quite common for patients to have, or or condition that you think mm-hmm. patients will have that will be involved with obtaining their meds? Better you know, precise doses?
1: Well, uh, I don't think this is going to be a mainstream in the sense that it's going to be used for most of the medicines. I think <laughs> it's going to be used for some specific medicines. Uh, I, I would say that for medicines that are going to be used in pediatric medicine, because uh, for children, sometimes, most of the times, you need to change the dose depending on weight, on age. Uh, even in drug levels
2: so pharmacokinetic as, uh,
1: parameters exactly it's a very uh, good example as a pharmacokinetic group like uh, uh, you need to try to titrate the dose uh, also with um, some rare diseases uh, independently on the patient rare diseases that uh, for example developing a medicine for these uh, small populations uh, is not a uh, effective or cost effective because it's very expensive. So maybe uh, developing uh, medicines uh, using 3D printer is going to be cheaper and faster and simpler. And uh, we think that the first use of 3D printing is going to be in clinical trials for new molecules when they want to test these molecules with different doses uh, to check toxicity, even in preclinical t- tests with animals. I think that's going to be probably the first application for preclinical and clinical
2: studies. That's a really good right. I hadn't been thinking about pharma because I'm so focused on pharmacy and and yeah, but, right. <laughs> that would make a lot of sense for preclinical to sort of establishing what the reference dose should be.
1: Yeah. 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 Cool.
2: <laughs> well, thank you for for coming on the show, and I, I certainly learned a lot and. Uh, yeah thanks and uh, be well thank you david thank you thank you for listening to futuredose.tech if you enjoyed this episode please share this podcast on your favorite social media outlets
0: be sure to stay connected to the pharmacy podcast network and return for your next
2: futuredose.tech episode coming soon